All right, marketing as an agent. So the agent investor wears two hats. The biggest thing you got to keep in mind is, again, it's not illegal to, mar to market or do uh, wholesaling as an agent. You just have to be the investor first, all right? When do you have fiduciary responsibilities? When you're acting as an agent. Don't act like an agent. You're an investor. You, are, you do have the right to go and buy your own investment properties. You understand there's nothing illegal with that. You have your right to market to these investment properties. You have the, mar oh, the right to do all that. But when does it become a problem is when you market yourself as an agent first, because now people are calling you with the intention that you're going to list their home, that you're going to be an agent, that you're going to have fiduciary responsibilities to them. So that's when you can get into trouble. That's when you got to be careful. But if you market yourself as an investor and you can mention to them, by the way, I'm an agent, but I'm here as an investor, you can always do that, but you're not there as an investor. You're there as an agent. Being in uh, uh, the other way around, you're not there as an agent, you're there as an investor. But the good thing about mentioning that you are an agent is it gives you that little extra level of credibility, like they feel they can trust you more uh, because you're an agent, even though, I mean, people can screw people over regardless. So, you know, but it gives you that extra level of credibility. So you can always do those two things. You just have to make sure that if you're going as an investor, you don't cross the line. You are an investor first, last, second, third, all of it. You're an investor, you know? And once you transition to an agent, now you're an agent. The investor part is over. Could you possibly go back to an investor if needed? Maybe, but now it gets murky. But you can definitely go as an investor first and be an investor the whole time. Nothing wrong with that. You're more than in your right to do so. Where it becomes a problem sometimes is depending on the brokerage you work for. They may get upset. Uh, some brokers don't like that because, you know, you're taken away from their commission. <laughs> so they, they want you to be an agent at all times. So that's why, like, you know, why we've been with Subsum for so long is because of that. They, they, they allow you to do the investment side of it. So, and then rules for disclosure. There's a, you only disclose it in the contract. There's a part in the contract where you're going to write in, uh, think it's in the first page that says like one or two members of uh one or more members of this uh company are licensed agents right so you'll put that as a little disclaimer that there's somebody that a part of this transaction that's going to be a licensed agent that'll be the only disclaimer that you got to do through that situation any questions here yeah so, uh, sorry, question. Um, you get a listing you go to the listing appointment and you've already given them the CMA, you give them all the information as far as the agent concerned, right? Turns out that maybe you are now interested as an investor. Mm -hmm. So pretty much no go, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, I, again, that would be more of a question. I was hoping that he would have questions. Um, <laughs> that would be more of a question for Angie. Um, she always, gets, she's usually here to catch me on the stuff that I'm like bordering on the, you know, on the, on the gray side of things. Um, and, and yeah, you, you screwed it up, you know? Um, no, but in that regard, like if you would have gone as an, as an investor first, that's why, like, I believe you should go to every appointment as an investor first. You understand? Like, unless they, they did call you out as an agent and you're showing up as an agent, then that's kind of where that is. Um, that's why I like my, my business partner is the agent. Because I'll go to every appointment, but I'm an investor first, 
right? And then if I see, yeah, you're right, this is an agent thing, I call my partner, he comes in and does the, the listings, right? Which we don't do a lot of traditional listings, but you know, in the, in the few cases, that, that's when he steps in. But um, it, 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 a lot of it, you can gauge over the phone by determining like, what's the reason they're selling and stuff like that, you know? And then just tell them, be like, look, I might be interested in it. Let me swing by, take a look at it. Uh, see if I'm not interested, then we can go ahead and, and then do something else with it, right? And then we can list it. So you're still going as an investor first, seeing if you're interested. Um, and if you see that it's like pristine conditions. And like I said, if if they have no motivation and no rush to sell, it's most likely the better chance for them is going to be a listing. They're going to get the most bang for their buck, you know? So unless they, they need to, you know, and it's an urgency thing or money thing or something like that, you're going to most likely just end up listing the property anyway. It, it's the best results for them. All right, securing the deal, phone call. So the first phone call is uh, right now. So before we were co contracting in the last couple of years, we were contracting a lot of deals over the phone. I didn't, I mean, I would rarely go see a property. I was negotiating it, talking about it, getting all everything I needed, getting it on the contract over the phone. The market has shifted. Competition is a little, you know, murky right now. People are a little squeamish. It requires more face-to-face building rapport with sellers that to get these deals done, to get those better margins. So what I like to do, and this is what I used to do before the market got so hot, is as soon as I find out what's some level of motivation that, not that they want to sell, but that they need to sell, once I determine they need to sell, I'm there. I'm there right there, right away. When can I go see it? You know, oh, I'll get off of work at 4.30. Great, I'll be there at 4.45. Not, oh, okay, can it be six o'clock, right? give them plenty of time to rest and all that. I've taken deals from people that I've showed up a half an hour before them and they're knocking on the door and I'm signing the contract already. You understand? And it has happened the other way to me where I'm knocking on the door. They're like, oh, I already have somebody here. I'm like, Shit. so as soon as they're available, you go. You understand? Because if you don't, somebody else will. And if that other person is anywhere good to negotiating and stuff, they're going to lock it up on the appointment. I, I do not walk away from an appointment without a contract. You understand? Like I go to every property. I have contracts in my car at all times because every house I go to, I'm ready to walk away with a contract. That's how I look at it. So always make an appointment. Why do appointments, especially when you're starting off and you're new at doing these kind of things, you can connect with people better in person. You can build better rapport and 80% of the time, people are going to go with you because they like you. Yes, you're solving a problem, but most of it is going to be because they like you. All right. I've had people that they're like, look, you were the low, uh, you're one of the lowest offers, but I like you. And I've had other people that say, yeah, your offer is okay, but I don't like you. <laughs> Not much else I can do with that one, right? If you don't like me, I can't really do anything else. I'll, I'll pass it off to somebody else. Be like, hey, you call, maybe they like you better. Right. And I'll give them all the information, but there's deals. It's just purely emotional, you know, and, and them liking you is a big factor. And in person is very, very important. You understand? So make sure you get that appointment. Uh, it's definitely one of the biggest things to do this. And no little as possible is the amount of people that overanalyze a deal before even speaking to the person blows my mind. You have not spoken to them. You don't know what their motivation is. You don't even know if they need to sell. And you already know how many liens they have. 
you know the comps, you know what the street looks like, you know how many neighbors, what are you doing? No, none of that. I don't know anything about a property until like I'm about to get it on the contract because I don't care about any of those things. What I care about is their motivation. That's all I care about. And I cannot do research on their motivation without talking to them. I need to speak to them first. Talk to them. Don't procrastinate. Don't overanalyze these deals. Many people, they get caught up on wholesaling because they're overanalyzing the hell out of these deals before they ever do anything with them. Does that make sense? So don't overanalyze. And as agents, I know many of you have that, that, you know, I need to run the comps and I need to get the comparables and get a No, 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 no. None of that. Even a Zillow number is more than enough to just go to the appointment. Now, I'm not saying, you know, people say the A in Zillow stands for accuracy, right? Uh, for those of you who don't know, there's no A in Zillow. Um, so there's no accuracy, but it's close enough to kind of get you in the ballpark of just talking numbers. But the most of the time, I'm not talking numbers. I'm talking motivation. What is your problem? What do you need? How am I going to solve that problem? You understand? Then we'll talk about what that's going to cost. But most of the time, it's just solving the problem. It's not even the price. So then you got to secure the property. You make the appointment. Yeah, you make friends with the tour. You're finding the problems. You're empathizing. And you're offering a solution. So it's not about, I would say about 20% of the conversation is about the property. 80% of the conversation is about figuring out what the need is. What is their need to selling? Why right now? I've gotten deals that they wanted $144,000 and I got it on the contract for 70. Why so low? Because they thought they needed $144,000 to get the problem that they needed solved. I was able to solve that problem for them for $70,000. Their problem got solved either way. The difference is they didn't need $144,000 to solve it. Because at $144,000, that deal was never going to work. You understand? They were never going to sell for that price. But for 70, they were able to sell, solve the problem, and put money in their pocket. They were so happy because in their mind, sellers, their problems are tremendously bigger than they are in real life. You understand? There's a broken door. Well, that's got to cost like $20,000, right? You know what I mean? And it's like, eh, obviously, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's how it is to a lot of people. In their mind, these problems are so much bigger, so much more expensive. You know, we're as investors, as people that we're in this business, we know that's like, no, I can move you out for less than that. We can get some storage units. I can trash that out. I can, you can leave that stuff behind. I, I have sellers so many times that they're like, I would love to sell, but I have a tenant in the house. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll buy it with a tenant in the house. Oh, but they're terrible. I'll evict them. Don't worry about it. I can handle that. I do that all the time. That's not a problem for me. But for them, they thought they couldn't sell the house until the tenant left. You understand? So it's like, now you're waiting to evict them, go through all this trouble. I just saw the biggest headache you have by buying your house right now today. You understand? Which is your tenant. So these are the things that you want to focus on is what is the problem? What is the situation? What are you going through that I can solve? Elderly people. Oh, I don't want to move. How, how am I going to pack all these things up? I can get people over there to pack everything up for you. I can get movers. I can get all that. All those costs, I factor it into my offer. You understand? I'm not out of pocket. It's all factored into the offer. It's just that they don't want to think about it. They don't mind paying for it because they accepted my offer. So they don't mind paying for it. They just don't want to think about it. So I'm like, pack what you want. 
take what you want, leave what you don't want, I'll get rid of the rest. That alone, they're like, oh my God. My partner's a licensed agent. Where am I going to go? Don't worry about it. Find a house. When you find the house that you're going to buy, we'll go ahead and buy this one. So then that way you can move from this one to that one. You're not stuck in the middle in a hotel or a storage unit or anything like that. Oh my God, that's great. You see how I'm solving the problems and then the price becomes whatever at that point because they want the solution. You understand? So I sell the solution. If you sell the solution right, contracts, all that stuff later, doesn't even matter because there's a lot of people that get caught up on the contracts. And we're going to go over contracts, unfortunately. Um, but we're going to go over those later. So the contract, what to use? We use the standard Trek contract, the one to four. I'm sure if you're an agent, you're familiar with that one. That's the one we use for wholesaling. Now, there are wholesalers that they use like these custom two-page contracts, one-page contracts, stuff like that. That's perfectly fine. If I'm talking to a seller that they tell me that another wholesaler submitted an offer with a two-page contract, I will destroy that offer. I will be like, they're full of shit. They're not using the legal Texas contract. It's probably some scam. Who knows what the hell they're doing? <laughs> so I will destroy it every day of the week. Um, is that true? No, not really. But, you know, chances are most of these wholesalers are like guru trained. So they got some special guru contract that they're using. So I like to come out with my Trek official ass contract that's thick as hell. Um, and, and it's a more official contract. And the other benefit to using the Trek is you got to work with title companies. Most title companies, well, all title companies, they love working with the Trek contract because they know it. Very few title companies will work with these custom investor type contracts. You understand? So if you're going to use one of the investor ones, which I'm not saying don't use, I'm just saying if you use it on a deal that I'm going after, I'm going to destroy that contract. But if you use it, make sure the title company you're working with understands and likes that contract because you might bring it to a title company that they're like, what the hell is this? I'm not, I don't want to close this or here's, you know, 15 more other documents I need you to sign and that can screw up the deal. So make sure you go to your title company first, whichever one you like to work with. And you tell them like, hey, here's the two pager. Does this work for you guys? Technically, a napkin is a contract. I mean, it doesn't have to be fancy. But it's just different ways. Some title companies are bigger pain in the butts than others. Some title companies don't know how to do investment uh, transactions and stuff like that. Subject twos, all those things. The one I like to work with is Alan Sesker out of Austin. He owns a capital title out of there. He's a fee attorney, real estate investor. I've been working with him for years. Uh, this guy knows how to deal with all of this. He has his own custom contracts. So we use a lot of stuff from him. So we like using uh, those contracts and using that title company. There are, they are in Austin, so all our closings are done either through one of our notaries in, in the office or a UPS store, a mobile notary, one of those. That's how we close all our deals. It's just simple, and I can trust the title company. Then, So that's the line I was telling you before that you're going to put on your contract. You know, One or more agents of home buyer LLC is licensed agent with the state of Texas and does not represent the seller. So... We have it already pre-filled out on all of our contracts. So whenever we print out contracts, this line is already pre-filled out. And or signs, is that necessary to be put on a contract? No. In the state of Texas, every contract by default is assignable. Unless it states otherwise. If the contract states that it's not assignable, then you need to do it. 
but it is not necessary to put in or assigns on a contract. You can easily, you could put your company name and then when it comes time to closing, you can go ahead and do an uh, amendment, addendum, add that amendment, and just amend who the closing uh, LLC or person's gonna be. And you can do that all on the closing table. It has, there's no problem with that at all. We do it all the time. You don't have to put in or assigns, all right? That was, that's something that you hear from a lot of gurus, you know, make sure to add in or assigns. It, you have to in certain states. I needed to do it when I was in New York. You don't need to do it here. In Texas, the trade contract is by default assignable. Option period money and earnest money. These are two things that need to be involved. Uh, how much do you do? Option, I do probably 10 bucks. For how long? If I'm gonna close in 60 days, it's probably a 60 day option. Um, that's all my option periods. I've done option periods of 275 days. I did it recently on a property that we contracted in February and we were closing in September. So I made the option period long as hell. Why? Because it gives me an option. By that, with that option, I always have an option back out. You understand? And it cost me 10 bucks. Now, I am not saying this for you to be slimy and take advantage of sellers. I contract deals because I know I'm going to close them. I don't back out of contracts. All right. There's been two contracts in my whole career that I backed out of. One, the guy lied to me and didn't tell me he had been married and the woman hated him and she was going to will she was willing to let the house get foreclosed on as long as it screwed him over. So there was no way I can get that lady on board. I tried everything. We even sent her a threatening letter with my attorney and hey, she did not. She's like, sue me. I was like, well, shit, <laughs> I'm not going to sue you. Like, sorry. <laughs> you know, so we just had to back out of the contract because we couldn't get both parties to agree. Um, and the other contract was the one that I just said about the 275 days. It was right as the market transitioned and that, that neighborhood, it was in the Woodland Park, Woodland Lake area. And that area took a nosedive. And it was like, by the time she was like, okay, I'm ready to close. I'm like, well, it offers like 70 grand less than what it was before. And that's just support for us to make less than what we were thinking to make originally. But I still wanted it. I was like, it was still 70 grand less. She was like, oh, hell no. I'm like, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> like the market turned. I'm sorry. It took freaking nine months to, you know, to do it. Like I, I couldn't do anything with it. Um, but right now the truck contract has updated. So the option and earnest money, they both go straight to title. Uh, before you, I would write them a, like a $10 check. So that way I would have uh, proof that I gave them that and I will give them the check. Uh, now all that goes straight to title. So it's a, it's a little bit easier, nicer to do. I don't have to be walking around with little checks everywhere. Um, and then the earnest money, how much of that do you do? As little as possible. Sometimes almost nothing. Uh, but if I'm competing with another eight, uh, wholesaler, then I'll do 1% or more just to be like, they're giving you a hundred bucks. What? That's terrible. You know? And then I'm like, wow, no, no, no. We, we wouldn't do a penny on their 1700. You know what I mean? Like not ideal because we do a lot of deals. So you don't want to be doing a lot of earnest money checks out. But if I'm going up against another wholesaler that's trying to do 50 bucks, earnest money or hundred bucks, then like the two page contract, I'll destroy that too. I'm like, oh, that's how you can tell it's a scam. You know? So use these tools to your advantage as you can. Um, again, like I said, I, every deal I contract, I close on either myself or I have a buyer already lined up. So I don't back out from any deal that I 
get on the contract. 